How could you not have a series called Desire and not play U2's? It's just like match made in heaven right there. What a morning it has been already. Thank you all, uh, all those leading, um, CJ and the band and everybody else. Incredible, incredible. Lori, your voice is angelic every time, man. It just hits me so hard. So thank you, everybody, that's been a part of this morning. It's great to be back with you. I was gone last week, uh, another wedding in California. Those are going to run out at some point, I promise you. Uh, but this time I was in a little bit of a better place than Ukiah. Uh, but I missed quite the Sunday, it sounds like. Everything from the choir concert to uh, dedication of our new and improved veterans wall downstairs. Sounds like an incredible weekend. Uh, thanks to Rebecca, to John, Nathan for leading all those things, for helping this thing stay afloat uh, in my absence. Uh, but what a great, great day that sounds like it was. Hey, if you're new here to West Bowles, then you are joining us at a really cool time. Uh, this morning, we're kicking off a brand new summer sermon series entitled Desire. Not sure if you've heard of this or not. Uh, but in the series, we're going to basically be talking about the seven core longings of the human heart. Now, over the, the spring, we talked about the story, which is God's story. We looked kind of chronologically at the Old Testament. And what I'm hoping that you got out of that was not so much answers to a test, or like now you know uh, who lived during such and such a time or where this book is in the Bible. I don't want you to ace a test in your Old Testament survey class. That's not what I care about. Uh, none of you are in an Old Testament survey class anyway. But what, what I really care about is that you would now be able to see how God's story impacts your story. And we're going to really see that as we get to the New Testament in September. But this summer we thought we'd take a little bit of a break from that and enter into something called desire. I'm so excited to kick this off with you this morning. Uh, before I do that, though, I also want to tell you about uh, something new that is going on in addition to the sermon series. We're also right on the front end of a, a capital campaign where we're trying to raise some funds to fix up this building. We're entitling it the West Bowles Fixer Upper. And we're trying to raise over 150000 this summer so that we can fix, repair, and improve some things in and around our building. See, we use this building every day. Uh, it's an incredible building, an incredible facility. We use it to strengthen our faith, to strengthen our relationships. But we also use it to serve our community. And over the years, it's just kind of fallen apart in different ways, and we've had to just let it for different reasons. But now, like Nehemiah, at the end of the Old Testament, we're rebuilding it. We're, we're going to fix this place up to show that God is up to something in this place. And that's the hope and the goal over this summer. So it could be carpet. It might be new front steps. It uh, could be blueprints of the roof. We've got to fix the leaks there, maybe some new projectors. We're hoping that you will partner with us and that you'll pick a project this summer and, and want to give to it. We're going to show you over the next couple of weeks, we'll have some samples of those things out front, show you some drawings and ideas, give you the layout of the roof, and we'll show you how a gift as small as 100 bucks all the way to 100,000 bucks if you just want to do the whole thing for us. Uh, we'll show you exactly how that money will be put to use. Uh, but the hope is this summer that you'll want to give just a little bit extra to help us uh, get that, get those things done. But enough of that stuff. I want to talk about this stuff because this just looks awesome, by the way. John did an incredible job. He had a huge team of people. Art, Dick, Boyd, Craig, Sean, Bill, Lauren, Tom, Roger, Dennis, Dan, Arnie, Don, Olivia, Grace, Suzanne, and Julie. Half of which is John's family, I think, off of that list. But... <laughs> But they came together just to do some cool things for us. We're hoping that this is a, an evangelistic series, that if you're joining us for the first time or maybe new to the Christian faith, don't know much about it, that you feel welcomed here, that we'll be speaking a language that you know, uh, that we'll be resonating with the things that go deep in your heart. Let me pray uh, that the sermon won't stink. I mean, even if it does, the stage is worth of coming back, right? It's worth just come and see what we do every week up here. 
But I hope the sermon doesn't stink. Let me ask God to help with that. Father, thank you for the energy and the spirit in this place. We ask now that your Holy Spirit would come in an even greater way, that he would fill us, he would infuse us, he would teach us and mold us and shape us, God. We come looking for life. We come looking for answers. We come looking for hope. Would you give us all of those things and more? Uh, Give us your spirit. Give us your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so this morning, I want to describe for you a journey that I went on a few years ago. It's a journey that completely changed the way that I see and think about myself. But more importantly, it's a journey that completely changed the way I see and think about God. So they say a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So I drew some pictures for you this morning to help you uh, understand what happened on this journey. Now, be forewarned, I have as much artistic ability as I have hair. And, And you know how that's working out. So here's my first drawing. Here I am, Thomas Charles Fitzpatrick I, just in case you were wondering if there were multiples. Before I became a Christian, this is what I looked like. In addition to having a lot more hair at the time uh, and enjoying blank books, it looks like, uh, this guy was full of passions and desires. Now these passions and desires burned deep in his heart and they pushed and prompted him to do some pretty radical and pretty crazy things. Here's a list of those desires. This guy desired to be known, valued, and loved unconditionally. This guy desires intimacy without the shame or the guilt or the confusion and the chaos that typically go along with it. This guy desires power. He wants to be great and to do great things. This guy desires to be wholeheartedly devoted to something and for someone to be wholeheartedly devoted to him. This guy desires to be excited and fascinated. He wants to be left in awe. This guy desires to touch and taste and behold true beauty. This guy desires to live a life that matters and make a deep and lasting impact in the world. These are the desires that were at the core of his life for as long as he can remember. And anything worth remembering that's happened in his life revolve around one of those desires. Anyone relate to this guy? Anyone relate to these feelings? Can you relate to the push, the pull, the powerful presence of these desires in your heart and in your soul on a daily basis? Well, then something happened to this guy and he met this guy. Here's my best stick figure Jesus impersonation. And just this morning at first service, I realized I drew him standing on rabbits. I'm not sure why. (laughs) I mean, they're soft. I'm sure they're pretty nice, but I'm sorry about that, Jesus. I know you love the rabbits. But anyways, after meeting this guy and hearing the gospel, learning what God had done for me, I started to follow Jesus. I started to walk in his ways. And things started off pretty fine. Here's a picture of me meeting Jesus. My book is no longer blank. It's now the Bible. Yay. Everything's great. I'm a Christian. Well, it didn't, didn't continue to go great for that long. See, after a while, things got pretty complicated. See, suddenly in my relationship with Jesus, I came to believe that all those passions that I once had, the ones I just listed for you, passions like things for beauty, for power, for intimacy, well, I came to believe that all of those were now evil in one way or another. I assumed that the desires that were deep in my heart, they were selfish, they were sinful, and that now that I was born again in Christ, I needed to separate myself from all the things I desired that I was born with. Sermons and scriptures about dying to self, not succumbing to the flesh, forgetting former things, all of that combined to just solidify that fear and that feeling. I came to believe there was no room in my pursuit of God for all of my desires. And in fact, I would please God to the degree that I denied myself 
all those desires. You know that feeling? God is happy with you to the degree that you don't feel those things any longer. So I just committed to erasing them from my life. Committed to not living for those desires anymore. But there was only one problem with that. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Those passions, those desires, they're an inseparable part of who I was. I couldn't just flip a switch one day and stop wanting those things. I, I always wanted those things, and I always will want those things. Nothing I did, no matter how hard I tried, no matter how much I prayed, separated me from those desires. It'd be like if I tried to stop being white or bald or incredibly witty and good-looking. It's like, <laughs> that's just who I am. And I'm always going to be that way. I'm sorry. But in all seriousness, as a new Christian, I honestly thought I was supposed to repent of, suppress, and turn away from all those desires. Those things were bad. Those were evil. Those were sinful. That was a part of the old Thomas. There's no room for those anymore in the new Thomas. You know that struggle? You know the shame that goes along with that struggle? Well, then one day I stumbled across Psalm 145, 16. It says this, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Okay, wait, wait, just a second. Desires? Wait, wait, my desires? Did I just read that right? Did I just read about something in the scriptures talking about my desires? But more than that, did I just read about God promising to actually satisfy my desires? Because I'm a living thing. I have desires. Me? Surely not. There's no way. I, I just kind of uh, blew it off as being some sort of translation problem. I imagine the original Greek means godly disciplines, not godly desires. Then I kept reading the psalm. And it's as God knew, you're not going to get it the first time, Thomas, so here it is again, three verses later. God fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. Here is God promising to fulfill my desires. Here is God promising to hear the cry of my heart for all the things that I just listed off. And he promises to reach down and save me from the mess that I made of trying to satisfy those desires on my own. He says, I know you've got desires. I see them. I hear your heart crying out for them. I see the mess you've made because of them. And now I want to come in and satisfy all of them. Wow. Desires? Wait, wait, my desires? Then I found Psalm 37, 4. I started seeing it everywhere. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you what? The desires, the desires of your heart. Lord, Lord, you don't mean the desire for power. There's no way you're going to give me that desire. You don't mean the desire to be great or fascinated or to experience intimacy. Those aren't the desires you're talking about. No, no, I bet you're talking about the desire for prayer. You're going to satisfy my desire for purity. You're going to satisfy my desire for protection from the evil one. Those are the godly desires that Thomas is supposed to have now as a Christian. It's still not about power and greatness and fascination and legacy. That's, that's, not, that's not what you're talking about, right? Right? Wrong. See, the human heart has been and always will be a ceaseless factory of desires. Deep inside of all of us, there are these overwhelming longings, these tremendously powerful impulses to seek pleasure, to achieve greatness, to experience intimacy. 
We're going to say it this way this summer. You are driven by your desires. And you can be like, no, I'm not. Not me. I'm not selfish and sinful and fleshly like that. Yeah, right. You are. All of us are driven by our desires. But here's the thing. It helps explain a lot of other things. If you'll just come to terms with that understanding, you are driven by desires. I mean, think about it. This is why people jump out of perfectly good airplanes for the rush. This is why we gamble away all of our money, which I hope you put on American Pharaoh yesterday. This is why some people read romance novels. This is why some people cheat on their spouse. This is why people go through a midlife crisis. It all boils down to your desires. You are driven by desires. And that was a problem for me for a long time. But then I started to see something. I started to discover in God's word, I can't repent of these desires, nor should I repent of these desires. These desires are from God. And they can actually lead me closer to God. Let me say that again, because this is rewiring and reworking some things you've heard most of your life. You cannot repent of these desires, nor should you ever want to turn away or repent of these desires. These desires are given to you by God. They are from him and they are designed to draw you closer to him. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. Think about it. It makes perfect sense that a beautiful God would make beautiful creatures that desire to be even more beautiful. Doesn't that make sense to you? It, It makes sense that a fascinating God would make fascinating creatures that want to be fascinated. That makes sense to me. It makes sense that a powerful, great God would make powerful and great things who want to be powerful and great. That's God's fingerprint on you. That's how he has hardwired you to be. It shows us who God is, and these desires show us who we've been created to be. It's not as if God at the beginning said, okay, I'm going to make you just like me in my image. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you the desire for intimacy. I want to shower you with love. I want you to be great. And now your goal in life is to suppress and turn away from all the things that I just gave you. Have fun with that. That's a sick and twisted game, isn't it? I made you this way. I made you to desire these things, and now I want you to turn away from every single one of them. No, no, no. The God of Christianity does not do that. Other gods do. Other religions will say that. Other religions will play that or make you play that game. They will tell you everything's an illusion. You can't trust what you think. Your desires are evil. But when it comes to Christianity, it's not about turning away from your desires. It's about turning to the God who gave them to you. It's not about turning away from your desires. I don't have them. I don't have them. Yes, you do. Don't turn away from desire. Turn away or turn to the God who gave them to you. See, the problem is not with our desires. The problem is that we seek fake, empty, destructive, counterfeit forms of satisfaction to these desires. The question is not, do you have these desires? I don't care if you're Christian, non-Christian, Muslim, Hindu, atheist, agnostic. I knew you had desires before you walked in that door. And I knew exactly what they were. I know that about it. It's what it means to be human. The question is, from where will you seek satisfaction? From where will you try to satisfy these desires? We're driven by desires. Typically, they drive us to do some crazy things, some selfish things, some sinful things, some really destructive things. I love Isaiah 55 so much because it speaks to us in a powerful way. It says, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come by wine 
and milk without money and without any cost? Why are you spending your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Isn't that a great passage? It fascinates because it, it, it sheds some light on why my life was the way that it was. Why did I feel so empty and ugly after another one night stand? Why, why did I feel that way? Why did I feel and need more alcohol or more pot after I had just consumed enough for 10 people? Why did I still need more? Why did my heart ache for something better even though I was in, already in amazing positions of leadership? Why could my GPA never be high enough? Why are my material possessions never cool enough? Why? Why was I not satisfied in life? Why, Isaiah says? Why, Isaiah asks? Because you're wasting your time and your money on things that don't fill you up on things that don't satisfy you. They're like bread that you can never get enough of. They're like work that is never fully done. You've heard me say it before, sex, success, and stuff. That's what my life was filled with, and yet that's what made my life so empty. That seems odd. I had all I wanted, yet I always wanted more. And here's why. You and I, at our very core, we are immaterial beings that will never be satisfied by material things. You and I are immaterial beings at our very core. We are spiritual creatures. And that means that nothing that is material or non-spiritual will ever truly satisfy our hearts. And God knows this. He's the one that made it this way. So right in the middle of it all, he says, I gave you those desires. I created you to have those longings. Stop eating junk food. Stop eating the scraps from the world's table. Stop scrounging around looking for crumbs and instead come feast on me. You hungry? Right, like one of those Snickers commercials. Hungry? Gonna be here for a while? The Lord says, come to me and eat. What's funny about those commercials is you've got somebody who's acting the fool, right? They're out of, out of character. They're, they're somebody weird and, and odd. And all of a sudden they eat what is good. Snickers. And all of a sudden, they turn into who they were supposed to be. I wonder if the Lord is saying, Snickers, hey, you kind of got a deep spiritual truth going on there. When you feast on anything but me, you'll be somebody crazy and cuckoo. But when you feast on me, you'll be your true self. You'll be your best self. It reminds me of what happened one Thanksgiving morning when I was younger. For some strange reason, I just forgot it was Thanksgiving. So I woke up and I, I did what I always do in the morning. I poured three bowls of Cocoa Puffs. I mean, how do you think I keep this, people? <laughs> if you've never had those delicious little cocoa balls, you are missing out. They are. Anyways, I'm stuffing my face and like wishing there were more, right? The, like the, the crumbs out of the back of the box. My mom walks in. She's like, I hope you're hungry. Made your favorite Thanksgiving dish, sweetheart. This cranberry parfait that is straight from heaven. She didn't say that, but that's what I heard her say. You, you could probably see the desolation in my heart. I had chosen to go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs instead of cuckoo for mom's cranberry sauce. But you see, I'd stuffed my face with this junk food and I, I, I no longer had any room for the good stuff. I wonder if that happens with our life, right? With our desires. I wonder if we stuff it so much with the junk food, the material junk food that's around us and we don't have any room any longer for the really good stuff. Think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. 
Think back to this moment. She's looking at the fruit. It cannot be more beautiful than every other piece of fruit in that garden. It cannot taste that much better. It cannot be that, that unique when compared to everything else. What was it? What made her eat it? What made that thing so enticing? Could it have been the promise that went along with the proposal? Do you remember what Satan said? Take this, eat this, consume this, and you will be like God. In other words, every single one of your desires will be satisfied, Eve. You want to be great? Eat this. You want to experience intimacy? Try this. You want to be fascinated by something? Take a little bite of this. Oh, it's the proposition. It's the promise that went with the proposal. And Satan ended up destroying Adam and Eve because he simply distracted them. He took their desires, which I think he knew were God-given, God-ordained, godly things, and he simply twisted and distorted and distracted them from the source of true satisfaction. He says, I know that you're a desirous being. I'm gonna use that against you. Here, try this. Eat this. Buy this. Consume this. Hit this. Post this. Say this. And you will have delight to all your desires. You ever heard that promise made before? You ever buy into that lie before? Satan sounds like a, like a cheesy car salesman, doesn't he? Or maybe worse, like a creepy circus vendor. It's like, hey, come on in here, little kids, and just for a few dollars more, you'll get the big stuffed animal, I promise. We're like, okay. We buy what he's selling every time. We believe his lies every time. Eat this, try this, consume this, hit this, purchase this, whatever it might be, and you will find satisfaction to your heart's deepest desire. What happens? Take a bite. Oops. That didn't do it. It just actually made it worse. The craziest thing about what happened in the garden, at least to me, is that Adam and Eve already had everything Satan promised. The crazy thing to me is that Adam and Eve already were everything Satan was offering to them. They didn't need anything else. They didn't need anyone else. They already were like God. We read that just a few verses before. They were already beautiful and powerful and loved by God. They already could experience intimacy and fascination through God. Everything that Satan offered was already theirs in Christ. It was already theirs in God. But they forgot that. They lost sight of that. And they went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. They just started consuming junk food from the world's table and they got fat and bloated and they lost out. See, fake substitutes, cheap imitations, quick fixes, empty promises, no matter how many of them you try, no matter how many of them you buy, no matter how many of them you go after, no matter how many of them you consume, the longings, the desires, they remain. We're just as hungry as we were before, maybe even more. So we need to fill ourselves, church, with something that's big enough, that's strong enough, that's deep enough, that's intense enough to match the intensity with which I have these. Because these are pretty strong. I want those things bad. And I need something that will truly satisfy them. Look again at Psalm 37.4. This is our uh, memory verse for the month. I made it easy for you. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you everything you desire. See, so many people think that being a Christian means you simply declare that you believe in Jesus so you'll be saved from hell. Then you kind of go on your way. It's not simply about declaring something. Psalm 37 tells us it's about delighting in someone. 
God doesn't simply promise to save us. He actually promises to satisfy us. He doesn't just rescue our life at the end of it all. He gives us life right now in the middle of it all. When he becomes our magnificent obsession, when his life is the basis of our life, when his words shape our words, when our right standing with God becomes what we stand on, when God's universal eternal plans become our plans, guess what happens? When you delight in him, when it's all about him, he will satisfy the desires of your heart. He will give you everything you've been longing for and wanting your entire life. And I don't want you to hear like God is some like candy, like machine, like some vending machine. Like I want this God, so you gotta give it to me, right? Deep, 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 deep. Now, now I get it. Out pops power. Thank you, God. Nice doing business with you. I don't wanna deify our desires. It's not about getting what you want from God. It's about getting God. And when you get God, when you have him, you get everything else. He satisfies all your desires. Now, you might disagree, and that's fine. You can send me an email. I'll, I'll read it, maybe. But the solution, the solution to an empty, broken marriage, it's not primarily counseling or marriage resources or date nights. I'm big fans of all of those. But the solution to that is delighting in God above everything else and allowing the radical gospel of Jesus and what happened to you and for you on the cross to reorient everything in your life. When you do those things, your marriage will be better. The solution to a life filled with addictions and apathy and anger, it's not primarily about support groups or a change in scenery or a life coach. I'm big fans of all those things. The answer is delighting in God above everything else and allowing the radical gospel of Jesus, what happened to you and for you on the cross, to reorient everything else in your life. The solution to a religious experience that's empty, habitual, and burdensome, one that looks more like humanism or moralism, it's not in trying harder or showing up more or singing louder. It's in delighting in God above everything else and allowing the radical gospel and what happened to you and for you on the cross to reorient everything in your life. See, we try everything else though, we buy everything else because we just don't believe that in him and through him will be true satisfaction to our deepest desires. But this summer, I wanna challenge you. Let's not eat the fruit. Let's eat from the Savior's hands. Let's not take what Satan has in his hands, let's take what God has in his hands. Let's just try, let's do two months where he becomes not only our Savior, but our satisfaction. Oh man, I think these two months could rock this church and rock this community. See, Jesus didn't just save our souls from hell on the cross. He actually satisfied the longings of our souls somehow through the cross. And so could it be, as I was driving in this morning, I was thinking about this, could it be, this is the reason why he said the kingdom, having God in your life, living in right relationship with the Lord, that's like a pearl of great price. That's like finding this buried treasure in your field and you'll give everything else up so you can have it. Why? Does Jesus know that when we have it, when we have him, when we're in the kingdom, we have everything else we already need? We don't need anything else because when we have the Lord, we have all we can handle and then some. Give it up. Get the pearl. Get that treasure. Because boy, when you get that, you'll find everything else you've been running after over here. So God's not calling you to die to your desires. He's calling you to die to your destructive forms of satisfaction. He's calling you to stop looking to the fruit. Stop looking to other people. Stop looking at other gods. Stop looking at the idols of the culture. Stop looking to the things of this world and start looking at him. Because somehow in him, through him and him alone, there is true delight to the desires 
that drive us all. A couple of questions I want you to wrestle with this week as we dive into this. Desires. What are yours? Spend some time this week kind of evaluating what, what do I long for? What do I think about when I'm not thinking about anything? What caused me to do what I just did? What are your desires? How strong are they? Rank them for me, one to 10. How strong are those desires? How deep in your heart do those desires go? How have you currently been seeking satisfaction to those desires? Be honest. You got a lot of things on your credit card right now? That's probably an indication of where you've been going. You got a house a little too big for you right now? It's probably an indication of where you've been going. You got some broken relationships that's in the, in the wake of your past? It's probably an indication of how you've been trying to satisfy these desires. So tell me, or tell somebody, how have you been trying to satisfy them? And then are you courageous enough? Are you crazy enough to forsake all other forms of satisfaction and to say, Lord, I'm gonna go to you and I'm gonna find true delight in you this summer. I hope that you will say yes to that. If not, we'll still let you come, but you're not gonna have nearly as much fun. I promise you. Let me pray this over you. Father, we thank you so much for the truths of your word. You are an amazing God. We are made in your image, which means that we are powerful, beautiful, creative. Um, we want love, and we've been created to, to have intimacy. Lord, you are fascinating and, and beyond understanding, and so we want to be fascinated and learn new things constantly. God, it makes sense now why we are the way you are, because you're that way. Your fingerprint is all over us. And yet, Lord, as quickly as it happened in the garden, it happens in our life as well. Satan takes these desires, he twists them, he distorts them, and he, he offers these cheap substitutes to satisfaction that they don't work. Not only do they not work, Lord, they make us even more hungry. Not only do they make us more hungry, they actually kill us. The hunger pains will kill us if we keep eating from his hand. And so we pray, Lord, that this church this summer will eat from your hand. We pray that in you and through you, we will somehow find true delight to our deepest desires. Make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, don't forget your dollar in the bin on your way out. Have an amazing week. Enjoy the sunshine. We'll see you again soon. God bless you.